if any one of these new developer platforms really gets started and really gets traction, will these just be folded into the existing core banking infrastructure services? Or will these eventually challenge it? Or will this be a totally separate, different track than these other companies? You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Chris D'Antuano with Currency Cloud. And today I'm happy to have Chris McCann from Proof of Capital. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, really excited to have you on today. And just to give our listeners a background, Chris, um, I came across Chris, he published an article called the Fintech Infrastructure 101, I believe. And uh, I, you know, it really sparked interest to ourselves here at Currency Cloud and, and also to send out to a lot of our prospects of trying to really understand the ecosystem uh, here in the, in the States, specifically who, you know, who does what and what in value of the chain. And when you really look at it, there seems to be multiple different players you know, servicing maybe maybe one business or, or one line or the other. But Chris, I'll kick it off to you. If you could, for our listeners, give a, a, a brief background about yourself and, you know, what brought you to where you are today, and then we can take a, a deeper dive into into your knowledge. Yeah, happy to share. So the, the long story short is I started a, a new fund called Proof of Capital with three other partners of mine. We're an early stage venture fund focused broadly on the infrastructure space. I spent a lot of time and attention in the fintech and financial infrastructure space, hence the, the, the post. Um, we also look at a lot of things across um, enterprise and data, and even a lot of things on the blockchain side. Previous to this, I spent the last five years at a much larger fund called Greylock Partners, which you might be familiar with, um, focusing on a lot of the emerging tech fields that we were looking at. And then before that, uh, I used to be an entrepreneur, started and ran a media company, which we grew to 2 million subscribers before we sold. Uh, and then after that, I was doing an enterprise software company before joining Greylock Partners. So yeah, the, the impetus for the post is I was trying to really understand for myself the, the, the financial infrastructure space, and I got kind of pulled down this rabbit hole. So uh, I'm excited to, to share more here. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be publishing this out with the, along with the podcast. So you know, definitely the listeners can, can take a look at all of the hard work that you've put together. So I did want to talk about, I guess, just that that rabbit hole that uh, you mentioned. You know, when when I first got into this space, again, you think you have it figured out, and then you're a little bit deeper. Then you have to keep going deeper, and then it tends to be like maybe six or seven partners, you know, really facilitating maybe one one business uh, and having all of those ecosystems in play. Can you talk a little bit about where you where you started? I guess within you know compiling your research and and really starting with one area, and then you notice that it I guess, had to go a little bit further with different values in the chain. Yeah. Um, so um, I'll try to explain the, the high level. But then the, the main impetus for the post was we were looking at, from the fund perspective, we were looking at a few companies in the banking as a service API category. So some of the ones you might be familiar with are like Synapse or Sela or there's like a handful of other um, earlier stage companies trying to, in an API, be able to provide bank functionality to developers, allow them to um, create an account, deposit money in account, you know, send, send money out. And um, uh, sort of, I guess where I fell down was I, I was trying to figure out, okay, for myself, some of the other fintech companies that are out there, 
how do they do this today? Who are they using? How much of this do they build, you know, in-house? So, you know, companies like some of the the, the digital wallets, some of the the brokerages, a lot of the the lending companies. And and as I went through there and and sort of really peeled back through the onion on who these companies were using, you actually find out that there's a, a large category of these underlying banks that are actually the ones that provide all of the actual accounts and regulatory licensing and all that. And they're not the typical Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America that you think of. They're, they actually tend to, at least in the States, like they tend to be more of these um, community banks, which a normal consumer might not have heard of. So banks like Evolve Bank and Trust, uh, Bancorp, uh, um, Lincoln, Lincoln Savings Bank and Trust. For many of these fintech applications, these are the actual banks that are providing the underlying infrastructure, if you will, to power all this new fintech innovation. So that was the initial thread that kind of had me like really look and understand, okay, not just these community banks, but what is this, what is this fintech infrastructure, for lack of a better word, actually look like? Both today, like what are the fintech companies using today to power their existing applications today? And then more importantly, as an investor, is how do we think about this going forward? Yeah. And do you notice, I guess, the companies that you're looking at and and tied to the banks, did you notice that there's more that are using the synapses and the banks as a service APIs? Or do you see a lot of them actually building their APIs to the bank, the, the sponsor banks, or is it kind of mixed, I guess, across the board? It, yes, it's a great question. I think today, right now, currently, most of the, the largest, larger fintech apps that you can think of had done um, direct innovations with community banks. Um, to be fair, a lot of the synapses and other APIs were not really around when many of these fintech companies got started, even mm-hmm. you know a, a few years ago. Um, th- this whole space is a, again, what I was labeling as a banking as a service API is honestly like a really, really, really new category. Like it is maybe a thing that like investors know about. It, it's definitely a space entrepreneurs are building in. But when you when you look at um, how much payment volume is being facilitated through these things, like what applications are using them, how prevalent is this? That whole area is still a. Uh, uh, very, very, very new space. Like out of all the, out of all of the participants today, there is no real winner yet. The, the whole category is just really new. Um, so to answer your question specifically, yeah, for fintech fintech apps today, the bigger ones that you know of, it's all direct integrations with local community banks. But I think in the future, like this will this will really start to change for for many other reasons, uh, some of which which I highlighted in the post too. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's definitely, you know, even though it's been around for a few years now, it's definitely at its infancy, as you can see, more players starting to creep into the space, which is definitely signs of opening up for that exposure a bit. Now, there obviously are quite a few different areas of business that you mentioned into your, your article. And I guess that's what you considered here unbundling um, of a bank. And that's, you know, regards to payments, whatever it's regards to lending remittance. Is there certain areas within this that you're seeing more consolidation now? I think maybe I guess five years ago, or even maybe a little bit more than that, you'd have like, you know, strictly investing or strictly lending. But I think we're starting to see, especially with the 
with the stashes of the world or the acorns are starting to offer not only investments, now they're offering checking accounts and they're starting to get more consolidation. Are you, you know, doing more digging on that side? Are you seeing the same on your side? Yeah. So I think you're referencing there's a, there's a, there's a graphic which I included, which is a famous graphic, which has been around for a long time called unbundling of a bank. And the, I think the mm-hmm. original person who created it was this guy named, I might just say his name wrong, Tom, Tom Lavero. He was the original one that created it, and many people did iterations of it, where they looked at all of the different products and offerings that just one bank, for example, Wells Fargo is providing, and mapping that onto all of the individual fintech startups that are trying to attack that specific category. Mm-hmm. So when you look into personal accounts, personal loans, business accounts, business loans, every single product line that a, that, a, that a Wells Fargo or any other big, large traditional bank, there is literally hundreds of startups trying to attack every single category, many of which are, are, are much bigger now and, and much more moda- notable names, whether that be Ernest or SoFi or Chime or you know, even eShares and like the cap table stuff or Betterment or Wealthfront and on and on and on and on. And there's a, a much more developed ecosystem on the, the consumer and front-facing side. From that standpoint, I think from, from an investor's perspective, the, the front-facing area of the, the fintech ecosystem seems very overfunded, very competitive. Customer acquisition costs are very high. Um, that doesn't mean there, there, you know, there won't be new entrants or new winners or anything, but that is a... There's a, there was a lot of attention put on that category over the past couple, couple the past five years or so. The, 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 the main thing I was looking at was not necessarily the, the front-facing uh, companies themselves, but the architecture and infrastructure below that that actually mm-hmm. powers all that. And, and when you look at that, like if Wells Fargo is the equivalent on the front end, Really, the backend infrastructure. There's a handful of companies which are in the um, in the banking world. They call these core banking infrastructure providers. These are the companies that really provide all of the underlying technical infrastructure, both for traditional banks, community banks, and even some of some of the the, the fintech apps themselves. Um, these companies they're not household names unless like you're really deep in the banking sector. You might not have even heard of these companies, but there's the ones like Fiserv. FIS, PSYS, Jack Henry, um, these, these companies very similar to the, the Wells Fargo of the world, except they're doing backend infrastructure, but these players are doing many, 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 many different layers of backend infrastructure, whether that just be like the core ledger, um, core payments, core checking, uh, lending, uh, FX, which, which you guys are in that space. These guys provide soups and nuts, like literally everything you can think of. And at least in my head going forward, we're seeing, again, it's very, very, very early days in this. We're seeing smaller startups try to attack specific niches that the Pfizer's and FIS's of the world do. I think over the future, you're going to see a lot more competition in that space. And then probably the most importantly is many of these infrastructural tools are going to be much more developer-centric, whether that be delivered through APIs or SDKs or anything, because that's, that, that is the way how applications are built today. It's not mainframes, your own servers, it's developer tools, developer-first, developer experience, which that is a very different product paradigm than traditional banks have historically been used to. I mean, that makes a really good point. And, and when you see more players come in, 
I think what you tend to see, and correct me if I'm wrong, you see a little bit more consolidation at the top level, as you will with, I guess, recently with FIS and WorldPay and, and uh, you know, recent acquisitions in, in that world. And then I think, you know, what, what we've seen with Plaid and, and Visa, do you see that, you know, the, I guess the more players that come in, but then it also creates more consolidation um, from companies that are attacking the same, the same model? Um, yeah, that, that, that's a really great question. And, and actually, like a, a, another exercise which I did, which none of this was actually even included in the post, it was more just a, a curiosity thing. I actually went back in time through all of the original annual filings and 10K filings of Pfizer and SIS so back, back into the, the, the 80s. And I think, I think it was FIS went public in like, I think it was 2001 or so. So when you actually look at all their old filings up until today, Many of these companies were actually uh, primarily made through through acquisitions. So it was through the you know acquiring of many, 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 many different pieces together, and that would eventually become the core banking infrastructure we see today. I think you're asking kind of a much more fundamental question of if any one of these new developer platforms really gets started and really gets traction, will these just be folded into the existing core banking infrastructure services? Or will these eventually challenge it? Or will this be a totally separate, different track than these other companies? That is a super, a really interesting question. Again, like from an incumbent's perspective, it's always much easier to imagine the status quo and then just the new things get folded into the old things. However, there are certain trends that I think are really kind of fundamentally challenging, challenging sort of many of the core assumptions. One of them, which I mentioned, is like the developer cent- developer first centric approach. The other biggest one is you're starting to see kind of the very early days of this, but you're starting to see this trend of tech companies wanting to be fintech companies or wanting to be banks themselves, and even like the fintech companies wanting to be tech companies, kind of the vice versa back and forth. Um, but more specifically, you're actually seeing tech companies start to embed embed fintech features into their existing applications. I, I label this, and I, I think other people have talked about this. This is like the trend of embedded fintech. And, and in this world, you, you don't just have the traditional banks themselves needing to power the infrastructure below it. You're actually seeing like a very different class of customer. It could be the developer. It could honestly just be generalized tech companies. And if if the underlying financial value chain moves to tech companies, the needs, the wants, the architecture, all that stuff is actually totally different. So this is, again, it's a, it's a little bit like you're, you're, you're trying to predict the future, but I do think there is, a, there is a place for an independent company to think about core banking from the ground up, from more of an application-centric approach first. And this is in my in my opinion, fundamentally different than than uh, many of the providers that are out there today. So yeah, I mean, it's a good point, especially you know the embedded finance with the likes of Uber this year, you know, releasing that Uber Money product, and then also you know Google issuing accounts as well through their partners. There are a few banks today, and I wouldn't say there's many, as you're probably aware, but you have some banks today that offer APIs. You know, you have Cross River Bank, you have Radius Bank as well as a. Mm-hmm just get scooped up uh, as well. So do you see, I mean, I guess that's what you're, you're mentioning here is to reestablish 
the banking offering to be able to sell to developers and, and sell to that market um, so that, that that company can then again go out and, and use those services as well. I guess that fights away from the actual tech companies trying to get a banking license or buy a bank in that sense of things where it's it's actually flipping it where maybe the bank should be the infrastructure at that point, you know, mm-hmm. essentially and offer those services. You know, is is that basically what you're interested in and seeing and, and would be compelling, I guess, as far as where we're going? Yeah. Again, in this space, I love the fact that you have a lot of these experiments concurrently running at the same time. Like I, I on one sense, and, and this is in the, the post as well, on one level, there are largely these community banks, although, you know, some of the, the larger ones are also have some experiments in this. They are providing, they are partnering with fintech companies. And what that means specifically is they're acting as like the, the white label kind of bank behind the scenes um, for many of these fintech, fintech applications. On a second level, there's, uh, there's actual larger banks themselves that actually provide full API access to not just give the data, but the actual functionality of the bank themselves. The two clearest examples, and there's probably more out there too, in addition to the ones you mentioned, was also BBVA and Crossriver and, and Radius, which recently got acquired. And then there's a there's kind of another different world of existing financial institutions, which are providing APIs to give data access, not functionality access, but data access to their customers. So this would be like the the Capital One Dev Exchange, or like the mm-hmm. Chase's Developer Program, or um, Wells Fargo, and then probably one of the more interesting experiments in the in the space is the, the unfortunately the day I think it was the day or the day before I I published the post. Um, Goldman Sachs did their their did their investor day where they announced they're also getting into the API side and banking as a service. Um, none of this, at least to my knowledge, has been specced or productized out, but they've at least acknowledged that they're going forward in this direction. And then on top of that, you have the smaller startups that are doing this from the, the ground up approach. And then you also have the tech companies trying to either acquire or get into the, 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 the banking license side of this. Again, like my, I guess my, my takeaway from all this is you have the larger trends of larger tech companies trying to embed fintech features into their applications. You have net new de novo fintech app, and then you have the banks trying to do this themselves. To me, like I, I, I honestly think like there needs to be there needs to be a, a developer API layer in the middle of all this. It's probably not going to be one monolithic API that does everything because that's really more like the the status quo of what we have today. But rather, mm-hmm. there's going to be uh, an ecosystem of APIs. Uh, that provide uh, a certain set of functionality very well, whether that's checking accounts and account opening, whether that's uh, uh, being able to issue cards as a service for you guys, whether it's you know doing FX as a service. Um, they're going to be best in class in the world at that particular field because each of these um, each of these sub industries in the finance world is is is, is very very large to support independent companies alone in these spaces. Um, and then these things are going to going to look much more developer first, developer friendly, and they're going to be able to work across smaller institutions and these tech companies that we see. Um, but yeah, again, this is my opinion. And, and, and a lot of this is to be seen. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of different institutions running at the same thing from many different 
like many different perspectives and you have a lot of experiments happening, which makes this industry really exciting. Yeah, it is. And then every day it's changing and you see some uh, opportunities going at it at a different angle. Um, and, and, and a lot of times they end up at the same place coming at it from a completely different side. I guess to, to finish out here, and you did cover this a, a few times, but as a as a venture capitalist, and you know, you, you obviously just mentioned, uh, you know, having those opportunities for you know core banking and different services there. But you know, putting your venture capitalist hat on, uh, you know, what specifically are you guys looking for? You know, over the next uh, couple of years, and what interests you? Obviously, this space is very very appealing. But is there anything specific that you guys are you know really looking at is uh, interested in uh, to have conversations for you guys? Yeah, um, for sure. Like, yeah, if there's if there's definitely if there's any entrepreneurs or founders listening to this who are building anything on the uh, financial infrastructure side, we, I'd love to talk to you. Feel free to reach out to me on on Twitter or anything. Like, I'm, I'm pretty easily accessible. I, again, I think there's been a lot of emphasis on the front end of this, whether it's consumers or businesses, like the 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 end applications of this. Not saying we're not interested in that area. I just think it's a much more crowded, competitive, very funded space. Customer acquisition costs are very high and it's very, very hard to compete unless you have a highly differentiated offering on this. I think the whole area that's been far less, far less looked at or far less picked through is all the infrastructure that powers all of us, um, including companies that, you know, that work with banks, work with smaller banks, work with bigger banks, do this independently, but really, really, really think through and build best-in-class services on the infrastructure side across all of these um, different categories. And then maybe one other thing just to, to, to throw out there as well, I, I also think on top of all of this, both application and infrastructural side, there's also the... Um, added complexity in the fintech space of also different geographies where, you know, in, for normal companies, geography is a little bit less important, but in the financial space, this ties into the regulatory regime and the licensing requirements. And there's a whole kind of other world in this. So in addition to just all these different layers, there's also, I, I think you'll see a different set of services across the U.S., across Europe. Asia is very different. In, in, in Asia, people are much more comfortable holding their assets in a digital balance, in a digital wallet. So that ecosystem might develop very differently. I've been talking to a few folks on the India side. That, that is a very different, a very different direction that they're moving into. So for, for us specifically, for Proof of Capital, we're most interested in the U.S.-centric side, uh, anything building uh, on the fintech financial infrastructure area. Anything that's developer-centric, that's kind of our core sweet spot. But anybody building products or services in this area, I'm always happy to chat with and give feedback as well. Awesome. Yeah, and I appreciate you know you uh, you mentioning all that because there's a lot of opportunities, especially for our listeners that uh, are, are interested in, in having those conversations. So appreciate that. Well, Chris, it was really good to have you on. Really good information for our listeners. I'm glad I caught you. You know, kind of fresh off the release of this article, so. It's uh, top of mind, and um, you know I appreciate, like I said, having you on. I'll make sure to add uh, your contact details to our uh, episode here in the blog post. But uh, thanks again, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Chris. It was really fun to talk about all this. Of course, take care. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. 
Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.